A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wagwan, everyone. Thank you for listening to The DNA Airwaves. Today's episode is brought to you by The DNA Project, your entertainment agency. Want to learn more about this great company and what they do? Then check out thednaproject.ca for more information. Today we're joined by Canadian musician Ori Dagan. Ori is an award-winning singer-songwriter that has a remarkable ability as an improviser to produce rich and remarkable sounds that warms audiences' hearts all over the world. Dagan's 2017 recording, Nathaniel, a tribute to Nat King Cole, was an incredible visual album that provided him the opportunity to showcase at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, and also headlined a spot at the Tan Jazz Festival in Tangier, Morocco. Due to the COVID-19 lockdown, we connect with Ori over the internet to talk about his start with jazz music, the complexity of the genre as a whole, and how he's been adjusting to the current state of live performances. It's a cool chat with a cool cat, and we hope you guys enjoyed it. This is the DNA Airwaves. Yeah. Oh, just the two yeah, of you. Just the two oh, nice. of us. He's over there. We you can, can see him. We can make it if we try. Just the two of us. You and I. Love We're recording. One. Here we that's go. A good that's start. a good start. Why don't you show him how it's really done, Ori? Why don't you show him how to really sing that <laughs> line? <laughs> where are you right now, Ori? I am at home. Like, where? Downtown Toronto. Oh, you're in Toronto. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why I thought L.A. You oh got my that God, LA vibe it would going. Be warmer. That would be nice. Yeah. It Wait, must what's be the, the LA hair. vibe? <laughs> the LA vibe just a cool cat vibe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> can we snap a picture of this screenshot just for promo? I think we can. I think we can. I gotta say, it's pretty nice. And I just did. Oh, All right, enough. <laughs> oh, you guys enough about the hair. Let's leave them alone. The hair looks great. Great to have you here with us, Ori. Definitely. Um, Pleasure. Yeah, man, it's awesome. And I was thinking about a lot of things, just listening to your music and kind of the vibe. I definitely have a lot of questions and some things I want to talk about with you. But number one, in 2020, the music has definitely taken a different direction and all sorts of different directions. So my first question to you is why jazz? Maybe give us a breakdown. How it started. Well, you know what? I have been living the jazz life for... (laughs) Just over 20 years, actually. Mm. I've been doing jazz for 20 years. Um, It started uh, in 1999 for me. That was the first time that I heard jazz. And the recording was Ella Fitzgerald, Mac the Knife, live in Berlin. And that recording changed my life. Okay. Um, It was on one of those things they call a compact disc. (laughs) What are those? uh, It doesn't feel so compact anymore. uh, I know, right? Uh, I used to, um, you know, walk around with like twenty CDs yeah. in yeah, my bag yeah. in my compact disc. The other, the other CD that did it for me was called Dinah Jams, 
featuring Dinah Washington, another mm. one of my favorite okay. artists. Nice. Um, and to, actually both of those albums are live recordings. And uh, I think live recordings to me the, the, are the next best thing to being in a real live jam session or a live jazz performance. True, uh, I think what speaks to me about jazz is that it's in the moment and uh, that it's a human music with yeah. uh, the thing about Mac the Knife, going back to that first recording, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that record, but uh, something happens in that record that was very historic. It ended up winning Ella two Grammy Awards. And what happens is she forgets the <laughs> lyrics and she uh -huh. makes up lyrics on the spot. It goes, Beautiful. what's the next chorus to this song now? This is the one now that I don't know. And the crowd just goes wild, <laughs> you know? Classic, um, yeah. I remember hearing that and it just blew my mind mm. because I grew up playing classical music. And okay. you know what? I, was, I had talent and I, I showed promise, but I just didn't love classical music and I didn't know why. Right. And I think it was because it, classical music is so driven, uh, it's so based on trying your best to be perfect. And yeah, I remember when true. I was a kid in these classical piano competitions, I would just sit there counting people's mistakes and being like, okay, that guy made two mistakes. I made one mistake. Maybe I'll get the trophy. Right, like it was yeah. just very... It's more like a sport so, than other so music. So to me, yes, which I would know nothing about, <laughs> by the way. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I kind of got into jazz because I, I loved the, the freedom of it. You know, the, the yeah. freedom of being able to express yourself and the freedom of being able to go with the flow right. and uh, having fun. You for know, sure. that's the thing about, for me, how, how I see jazz and what I've always uh, been striving for with my music is uh, joy. Mm. So that, that, mm. that's my why. <laughs> Uh, maybe I love it. Yeah. Sorry, we're, you're gonna see this a few times where we both start talking at the same time because of the delay. Sorry, Anthony. It's okay. We'll raise hands from now on. Mm. You go, Matt. <laughs> I go. Okay. Well, actually, maybe this is a better question for later. But Derek and I were just talking. I'm sure you've seen Fred Armisen's stand up, uh, stand up for drummers. Uh, if you haven't, you should check it out. I, th I, don't know I if think I you'd like it a lot. Okay. Uh, there's a section in there where he talks about jazz, and obviously he's kidding, but he really exemplifies what I think a lot of people think about jazz, and in some cases, I think uh, the three of us as well. And he's like, I'm going to play you some, some uh, freeform jazz, and everybody in the audience, raise your hand as soon as you zone out, as soon as you can no longer keep track of what's <laughs> going on. And you just see everybody sort of like 12 seconds in raising their hands, and I think that's... Um, that really exemplifies how the average person thinks about jazz. It's like, where, where are the rules? What am I following here? Um, how would you recommend um, keeping anything in mind or, or listening style? Because listening is an, is, can be an active um, pursuit, especially with music like that. Do you have anything to say to Fred about that? Man, I really want to see this video now. Um, I, all I have to say is, for, I mean, personally for me, mm -hmm. uh, Ella Fitzgerald was my gateway drug. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I started listening to all these different, uh, different singers and different instrumentalists. So I would say 
you know, let's forget about the singers because I, I don't want to. I don't want to make this an only singers right. thing. Listen to Lester Young. That's what I have to say to Fred Armiston, because for me, Lester Young is this uh, guy who performed with Billie Holiday. Mm -hmm. uh, they were like best friends, and uh, she took a lot of inspiration from him. Okay. Um, she really kind of phrased the way that that he played, and he took a lot of inspiration from okay. her. Um, they had this beautiful thing when they were performing together where they just, there's a video actually, if you ever look up Billie Holiday uh, performing Fine and Mellow on CBS in 1957, there's this beautiful section where he's playing a solo and she's looking at him and it's like she's in mm -hmm. love. But the thing about, about Lester Young is that I don't care you know, where you come from, if you've never heard jazz before, there's no way you won't love that. And there's also no way that you won't be able to follow it because it's so honest and full of feeling. And um, Charlie Parker, who is one of the greatest saxophone players in modern jazz and who was the co-inventor of the bebop movement, he got so much inspiration. He used to lift all the solos of Lester Young. So I feel like Lester Young, to me, he's my favorite musician in jazz. And uh, he's one of those guys where if I put him on, you know, I feel, I always think this, I'm like, you know what? People that quote unquote hate jazz or don't get it, this is what they need to listen to. Because uh, it, it, it really is, you know, it's, it's a complex music. Right. That's For the sure. thing. It, yeah. it really yeah. is, a, it, and it has because because of the whole concept of it being left up to the individual. Yeah. You know, that's what makes it so complex. Is because yeah, very true. You know, classical music, as I mentioned, it's all about the composer. Yeah. It's like you know, Bach wrote this, Beethoven wrote this, Mozart wrote this. Now you do it the way they intended. Mm -hmm. And jazz flips that on its head. It says, "Here's the song." You know whether it's a beautiful, brilliant, complex song like a Gershwin song or whether it's something like Happy Birthday, you know, no matter what it is, you make it your own. Yeah. So I was listening to a, a performance of a, a Mozart piece, I forget by which orchestra, but then they were talking about how that was such a masculine Mozart, you know, like what they're, what they're referring to is that usually Mozart has sort of dainty elements and it's all very smooth and the way they performed it was very hard um, and, 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 and they call that masculine and just the idea that if you stray even a little bit from the script, you're totally changing the piece as opposed to the personality of the player. Um, mm. I, I think that that just came to mind when you're talking about the individuals because how, how common is it for, I mean, there's jazz standards and all that, but... Uh, it, is it frowned upon if a jazz musician does a jazz standard and they just do it the way it was written? Is that sort of not cool? Uh, actually, I would say part of the convention is that when you start the song, the first time mm. you play it, you kind of state the melody. Right. And and that is, is something that a lot of young players forget about completely. And speaking personally, it certainly took me a right. while to kind of remember, you know, let's honor the composer and let's show the audience how the song actually goes. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you improvise. So if you ever listen to like, you know, like Miles Davis, you'll hear that. You know, you'll hear first, and it doesn't mean it, it's like exactly mm -hmm. how it's written, but often it is. And, and a, a lot of uh, traditional jazz does that for sure. I, and I, I 
definitely, I love doing that. I think it's a really, really good thing to do because at the end of the day, without the composer, where would we be? Great point. Where would Very we true. be, folks? Yeah, yeah. And actually piggybacking on Matt's earlier point about um, just people understanding jazz, I, th I think it goes a level further too in my mind because jazz isn't just jazz. Like you, we use the term almost loosely, but as far as I'm kind of, as far as I see it, we started off with like early jazz and it's had different forms um, or taken different forms since then. Can you kind of talk us through some of those? Because I know, for instance, like bebop you mentioned, um, fusion. Can you talk us through sort of the changes and uh, oh, yeah, the evolution sure. of jazz music? Sure. So the ones that I know the most about are f probably from the 30s until the 60s. That's just my jam. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But so j jazz started off um, in the 20s, maybe a little bit earlier even. Um, but it kind of really hit uh, it. Look, look, this is a really good good test. I, I really appreciate you <laughs> asking this question. Um, taking notes. It, it started off. Uh, in New Orleans as a mix of uh, different styles. Uh, it certainly came from the blues. Right. Um, that's a whole other story, but it, the yeah. blues mixed in with other influences such as Creole music, classical music, and a lot of standards came from Broadway and Tin Pan Alley as well as movies. So it's really a mix of all these different influences. And... Uh, it hit its height of popularity with the swing era. And that was mm -hmm. in the 1930s. And that is when uh, America was really, really struggling financially uh, because of the Great Depression. Right. Um, and jazz at that time was a music that made people happy. Yeah. It was a dance music. That is the big thing. It was a dance music and it was a social music. And that's why at that time it was just, it was kind of like, you know, it really was popular music at that time. Like whatever pop music is now, whether we think of it as, you know, um, I don't know, I guess pop music now has a lot of different forms yep. too. But I just, you know, I mean, like that was a big thing. And then bebop um, happened and bebop changed jazz so much from dance music into listening music. So mm -hmm. uh, bebop was rebellious uh, bebop was intellectual. Uh, bebop was, um, in terms of African-American music, it was very important because at that time, it was a rebellious music that tried to give voice to African-American people. And so at that time, there was, as you guys know, there was no freedom to do what hip hop is doing right. now exactly. yet. So it didn't use words, but it used concepts. So it was really a music that turned, it, it was thinking yeah. music, it was intellectual and it was difficult and it was not for everybody, but it, it was based on swing. But it, so it would take songs from the swing era and turn them upside down, make them faster include these crazy, difficult, virtuosic lines. So you, you would have to really know your stuff to play bebop. You know, like kind of, you'd have to be a studied, great virtuoso in order to follow that. So that kind of changed the audience of jazz a lot. And I think that's where sometimes people get lost is because everything after that 
could become a little bit more convoluted. And especially as the years went on in popular music, things have kind of dumbed down and dumbed down, you know, um, with the, with, as music became more of a visual medium, right. With, with music videos. And to this day, that's the case. Right. So, you know, after bebop, um, you'd have cool jazz, you'd have West coast jazz, uh, Miles Davis himself changed jazz like three or four times. Um, with uh, the the cool school and with modal jazz and then with fusion jazz and, and so on and so on. And even I, myself, you know, my thing is all swing and bebop. That's my my area. That's the, I mean, I still listen to that music almost every day. That's Can you, thing. speaking of, of you and jazz, could you tell us a bit about you and jazz? Sure. Me and jazz. So I'm right now working on my fourth recording. I started off, uh, I guess I'll, I'll just say I spent a lot of time in school. Um, I, I went to three different schools to study jazz music. Wow. Uh, well, oh no, I actually I'll say two. The first school I went to was U of T and that was just for two right. years. I was getting an English degree and uh, that's when I started listening gotcha. to jazz. And then I went to York, um, York University for five Damn. years. When I got to York, I uh, I said to them, my name is Ori Dagan and I want to be a jazz vocalist. <laughs> and they that. said, okay, well, let's hear you sing, you know? And um, they were like, okay, yeah, go do your thing. And it was actually really funny because I was doing it for a few years. I was pursuing uh, jazz singing at yeah. York. And um, I got a little bit frustrated with how they were treating the jazz singers in that program. How are they treating them? Um, there's a whole, yeah, well, they, they basically just said, you know, you guys study, they, they didn't let us be part of the improvising classes. Okay. It's really right. bizarre now that I think about it. But this is a thing that happens in jazz music is there's a big stigma against singers. Mm. Um, in the real right. world. Mm. I mean, when you, a lot of times in the real world, you go to a jam session as a vocalist and they're like, no singers, no, this is just for the instrumentalists. Right, right, you know, right. you guys, you know. So it's weird because I always thought if you're in an, an institution of higher learning, you know, you should give everyone a chance to be yeah, excellent. Yeah. But f- for whatever reason, they just said, you know, you're a singer, you do this. So I kind of got frustrated with that and I said, you know what, I'm... I don't know what I'm going to do, but maybe I'll just, I had a, a couple of people tell me, Ori, you should study classical singing. It'll be so good for your voice. Because I really started singing, as I mentioned, when I listened to Ella and I was 18 years old at right. that time. So I didn't have the luxury of growing up. A lot of singers grow up, they sing, whether it's at church or whatever they're singing. I did not. So I had kind of not very strong technique. And um, so I ended up switching the classical voice at York and I was lucky that I was able to do that. Um, And so I I finished York after five years and I didn't feel like I was done. And I knew a couple of singers uh, that I really, and musicians that I really admired and I'll name them because they're all amazing peers of mine. Lila Bialy, Brandy Disterheft Mm -hmm. and Sophia Perlman were all three women who I admired and they all went to Humber College. So I just really said, you know what? I want to try to see if I could go to Humber and see what they're doing. 
So I went to Humber for two years and uh, honed my chops, as we say mm. in jazz. And then I made my first album, and that was in 2009. What was the name of the album? And that album is called Scat Got My Tongue. Mm. Uh, Scat Got My Tongue was a collection of mostly standards and a couple of original tunes, including the title track. And uh, it, it, you know, kind of opened some doors for me. It got me uh, played on Jazz FM and CBC and and some stations all over the world. I got a review in Jazz Times. I made my second album, which is called Less Than Three, in 2012. And uh, that was cool because that album, I kind of... It was a question mark. It was a challenging of myself to perform not standards, but pop songs and keep writing. Mm -hmm. I wrote a couple of tunes again, but but I performed, you know, Madonna, yeah. Lady Gaga, Elton John, um, some songs like that. And then after about four years, I rec released my third album. That was my most recent. That came out a few years ago. Nathaniel, A Tribute to Nat King right. Cole. Mm. Yes, please tell us about uh, that. Break that yeah, down. so that That's was a really cool. crazy project. Um, I guess I am kind of an out-of-the-box guy. <laughs> I um, really wanted to do something special with Nathaniel because uh, in the spirit of Nat King Cole, who really was someone who was out of the box and someone who broke boundaries, yeah. I wanted to do something crazy. So with the help of my amazing team, and uh, some incredible support from my fans from around the world, I created the very first ever visual album in jazz history. Yeah, so I never thought that. that I would do something, you know, influenced so much by Beyonce, but there you have it. <laughs> so, um, Amazing. Yeah. you know, so um, Nathaniel is a collection, not, it's not just a CD, but it's also a collection of 12 music videos. And it's all on my YouTube page. It's all on my website. And it was really amazing. It, we won awards all over the world for some of these videos. And uh, it got me into South by Southwest. And it was, for the first time, got me out of Toronto to for some international gigs. So I played in South Korea a couple of times. Oh, what was that like? Oh. I got to play. Oh, my God. That was just incredible. Is there a big jet audience in uh, one of South the, Korea? You know what? They're, they they have some jazz, but they just love music there. It's a huge music-loving culture. And how I got that gig is I wrote a song, Nathaniel, in, in trying to make it interesting. Yeah. Um, there are seven songs on that that are songs that Nat King Cole recorded. Okay. And there are five songs that I wrote uh, with my amazing co-writer, Nathan Hiltz. And they are all based on Nat King Cole's life, his music, and his legacy. And one of the songs is called Bibimbop. Mm -hmm. And that's because it's kind of an answer to a Nat King Cole standard called the Frim Fram Sauce, which is about food, but it's not really about food. <laughs> but it is a novelty food song. And I thought, I want to write a novelty food song. And when I was a student at York, I went uh, in the food court. They had this Korean restaurant. And I remember just going there at like, you know, the wee small hours and being like, oh, my God, Bibimbop. That sounds like scat singing. I have to write a song called Bibimbop. <laughs> so finally, I got this excuse to write Bibimbop, and we made this amazing music video. Um, that was an animated music video, stop motion, and it won a bunch of awards. Uh, in South Korea, it was nominated for uh, an award for best children's music video oh. at some uh, kids' 
Film Festival. And they they wrote us an email and they're like, we'd love to have you here representing the music video. And uh, we can put you up. We have a hotel sponsor. amazing. You know, nice. can you can you get here? So I just thought to myself, something in my gut just said, do it, Ori, do it. Go to South Korea, find For a sure. way. So, you know, I just found a way and, and I got a friend of mine to uh, book me some gigs uh, playing in a piano bar, a cigar bar, yeah. guys, a cigar oh, yeah, bar yeah, in, in Seoul. <laughs> and I was like... A cigar bar? Yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. And um, I also had another connection to uh, the the embassy. My friend knew somebody at the embassy. So I actually got this, the second trip to Korea. Yeah. I met uh, – the first trip I went to the embassy and then the, they invited me to play uh, the first ever – uh, public Diplomacy Week in South okay. Korea. So wow. I, it was just an amazing, you know, one thing leads to another yeah. type of thing. And the other international gig I got is uh, was headlining a festival in Tangier, Morocco, Whoa. which was unbelievable. Like my face was on billboards. <laughs> nice. My face was on the their, their Interac machines for like six months. <laughs> and nice. that was a, a gig that I got. Yeah, man, I've got a picture of it on my wow. Instagram. Uh, that Sweet. was a gig that I got by having music videos. So I've always believed this. You know, I think that now, you know, music videos are essential. For sure. Because it is a video world. You know, it's like you could be, in my quote is, you could be Charlie Parker, who's the greatest yeah. genius in jazz. Um, so to me, I, he's like God to me. You could be Charlie Parker and release the best new song but no one's going to listen to it if you don't have a video. And that's just the way of the world, you know? Thanks. So I, I do encourage all indie artists to find a way to make a music video. And to, you know, my view is, you know, my greatest inspiration for music videos is Bjork. That's who I grew up watching. And she always treats a music video as an opportunity to make the song even more interesting because music videos too are art. Right, for sure. You know, you know music sure. is an art, film is an art. So you, you don't have to necessarily make a video where you're just lip syncing and, and yeah. you know, doing service to that. It can be its own concept. True. So when we made the visual album, we really had that in mind, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we, we used different, you know, I had the same producer. My partner is a film producer. So he produced all of them. But we used seven different directors from around the world. Oh, wow. And we let each director kind of, you know, bring their own whatever they're good at and collaborate with us in a way that's creative and interesting. Nice. And let me say, man, because that visual album was one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. I watched the whole thing. Oh, um, amazing. Getting Thank ready you. for this interview. I maybe didn't intend to, but I was kind of stuck to it. Um, you really, really highlighted the playfulness of jazz. And I know you mentioned that term um, when you were speaking of jazz earlier, but you brought out like the dance, which was really cool. Like it just had a complete old school feel to it, but still really authentic and true to today. So I really liked awesome. what you did with that. I'm it so really glad cool. you liked it. That was the really, animation. really fun. Yeah, guys listening, check that one Definitely. out for sure. Is it on YouTube or is there somewhere you prefer us to watch it? Is there, are you collecting views? It's yeah, YouTube. YouTube is good. YouTube is good? It's on, my website has a link that where all the videos live, but the, it's all YouTube. And your website links. is? He's just trying to get you to shout it's it out. It's com. Thank you. <laughs> O-R-I-D-A-G-A-N.com. Perfect. Well played. Good job. Um, can you talk to us about one of the tracks specifically? Actually, there's two, but this one first. 
your track, your song called Complexion. Can you tell us the inspiration behind that? Because that was pretty powerful. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, yes, um, this is one of the five tunes that I wrote, um, co wrote with Nathan um, about Nat King Cole's legacy. And I thought to myself, you know, I cannot do good service to Nat King Cole and his life without talking about what he overcame in terms of racism and conquering that and suffering through it and, you know, being a triumphant, successful artist. So while I was researching Nat King Cole's life, I found out that on April 10th, 1956, he was nearly killed in an attack that happened while he was on stage in Birmingham, Alabama, not far from where he was born. Um, He was performing and it was controversial because it was, quote unquote, a mixed band. So it was him and his trio and uh, behind them was an orchestra of mostly white players. Now, this, the really insane thing is that the police knew that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And thanks to the police knowing they were tipped off, um, he was not Thank killed. God. Because wh- while he was going into his third song, uh, four members of the KKK stormed the stage. And I believe their plan was to kidnap him wow. and hold him for ransom. Or maybe they tried to assassinate him. I don't know, but the... the The result was the cops were there. The cops managed to stop this from escalating. And he was just shaken and shocked. And I just, you know, that really, really hit me, I guess, because I just imagined being on stage and being attacked. And as a performer, I mean, I know how vulnerable it is to be on stage. And, and so that, 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 uh, line is actually in the song in the second half of the song uh the line is it was april 10th in 1956 they'd have had him killed with guns or knives or sticks and um so i really wanted to try to to write a song that was about this struggle and you know nat king cole had an interesting relationship um with this whole concept because it took him a while to join the protests right his method was kind of trying to achieve excellence no matter mm-hmm. what. And that was his way of kind of standing up for so, right, his race right. is just to to be the best that he could be. But eventually he really, he contributed a lot of, of funds yeah. towards the movement. Um, but he wasn't like, you know, everyone has their own thing. He wasn't like the way Nina Simone was. So in, in, interestingly, you know, in the African-American community, he received some criticism for yeah, that for a for while. Sure. Um, you know, so, I, you know, t- but again, he was, I knew that going in, I kind of knew that he definitely was groundbreaking in terms of having one of the very first, um, television shows that was hosted by an African-American celebrity. I and I did know that, um, it didn't last long because, uh, the television stations in the South didn't want to give money right. to that. And I read about how disappointed he was. And he he had people like Ella Fitzgerald guesting on it. And they all did it for free yeah. just to support what he was right. doing. Um, and, and that was a really, really beautiful show. But it did open the door, you know. And, and uh, you know, I love, love Nat King Cole's music, of course. But I also really loved kind of 
everything he did as a person, you know, I, I got to, he, he seemed like a really, really interesting cat and, and a, a really hardworking musician who made it seem so easy. You know, that was the thing about him. If you ever watch him, it just seems like he's not doing anything, right. mm-hmm. you know, and it, particularly yeah. when he's playing the piano. Like I actually got into Nat King Cole when I got into his piano playing. That's another interesting tidbit is that I didn't, get Nat King Cole for a long right. time because I only knew the singing uh-huh. and the singing, cause I mentioned, I like improvisation. I like scat yeah. singing. I like, you know, virtuosic Charlie Parker, Lester yeah, Young, yeah. you know, bebop. Yeah. And when I heard Nat King Cole growing up, I was just kind of like, well, yeah, he's got a beautiful voice, but I didn't get it. And it wasn't until I, I got into his early work with the trio that I heard his piano playing. And I just thought, whoa, that is the most beautiful piano playing I've ever heard. And um, it was it was as if he wasn't even playing. Like he just looks you in the camera and he's just, he's playing these beautiful lines. And, you know, interestingly, he became a pop star midway through his career. He didn't really play a lot of piano after right. that. So, you know, in in his whole musical legacy, I wanted to honor more than just the musical legacy. I wanted to honor who he was as a person, For sure. as an artist, and you know, as a yeah, hero. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I think you did a really good job of just showing uh, your perspective of a, a, a well-rounded uh, kind of image of how the music and the times kind of were. So, great job on Thank that. Thank you. For sure. Um, one more question about the album. What was it like working with Sheila Jordan? Maybe just give a quick... <sighs> Overview of Thank who she you. Is. And how old was she when you uh, when you did that? So Sheila Jordan uh, this year turned ninety two. Wow. She life. was eighty seven when we were in the studio oh, for that. Wow. And uh, she's someone that I have. She's my greatest hero um, in the world uh, because she calls herself a jazz ambassador, mm. uh, which means she spends her life uh, singing, teaching and spreading the message of jazz. And uh, she was the first female artist to record on Blue Note Records. And um, she didn't record again. She recorded a beautiful album then in 1963 called Portrait of Sheila. Didn't record again for another 12 years uh, because she had a a child and was a single parent. Um, Eventually, people caught up with her by the 1970s and she started to get a cult following. She's never had a manager. She's always done her own bookings. She's immensely respected in the jazz world. And um, so I've known her. I I got to know Sheila in 2000. I was uh, doing an interview. I was writing for a newspaper. I, I interviewed her. And then I started following her around. I saw her in New York City. I studied music with her in Vermont at their jazz camp. And I knew she was going to be in town when, because uh, she had a gig here when I was recording. And I just, I was kind of nervous, but I just thought, what's the worst she right. could say? You know? So I said, Sheila, can you do this song with me? And she's like, what song are you thinking? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. How about Straighten Up and Fly Right? She's like, yeah, I like that song. Let's do it, Ori. <laughs> and, you know, she had rules. She's like, I don't sing in harmony. If that's what you want. That's not what I right, do. Right. Wow. <laughs> so uh, we did this thing and I, it was the highlight of my life, you know, to be in the same room with Sheila and to to put something down on record that I'll always have to cherish. So it really was, you know, pr- probably the best day of my career. 
So you've mentioned some of your influences, Charlie Parker, obviously Nat King Cole and Sheila. Are there any others that come to mind that really uh, influenced you when you first started um, digging into jazz or kind of getting familiar with jazz? Yeah, so um, so as I did mention Ella, yeah, right. and Ella was, I was like an Ella freak and I bought all her records, which was expensive yeah. because she recorded 2,000 songs. Uh, but uh, the other vocalists that I really love are Billie Holiday, who really taught me to tell a story and to get into the essence of a okay. lyric. And the album that got me into that was Lady in Satin, which was recorded uh, like 17 months before she passed uh -huh. away. But I really encourage people to check that Definitely. album out. It's my go-to album if I ever try to get into the mood of crying. Wow. If I really when do you need cry? to cry, I you go listen cry? to. There's times you want to cry. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I I think there was there was a reason I needed to. Maybe it was for Just let it out. Maybe it was for. I don't know why. Why would I want to cry? Yeah. But anyway, it's it's a tragic oh, album. Geez. And then the other uh, vocalist that I really love that influenced me in a huge way is Anita O'Day. Okay. And Anita O'Day is another person that I met. Um, she lived to be 87 years old. Um, she was a heroin addict for 16 oh, years. Wow. And ironically, she produced her best albums during that time. Yeah. It was in the 50s and 60s. Uh, so go yeah. figure. Didn't reach um, but, you know, a lot of jazz people were, were like yeah. that. Um, so I don't do hard drugs. Yeah, thank God. Because, you know, jazz is my drug. Yeah, well said. Um, but anyway, uh, Anita O'Day for sure. Uh, kind of, I she's a big, 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 big influence on me because she was very playful. She would take a song and flip it on its head with pieces like "T for Two and "Sweet Georgia Brown" and "Honeysuckle Rose." and And she did a beautiful album with uh, our Canadian legend Oscar Peterson right. when he was quite yep. young, called "Anita Sings the Most." So uh, I, I urge people to to check her out. Nina Simone is a huge, huge, huge yeah. hero heroine. Yes. of mine um yeah uh but you know the list goes on we could be here all For day sure. but i would say those are my really big one and sarah vaughn too sarah vaughn who did wonders with her voice so those are my favorites every episode of the dna airwaves is recorded and produced at the mpl the mpl is a collection of film music and audio post-production suites located in the gta Please visit the-mpl, that's maple without the vowels, .com to learn how they can help you with your next film or audio production. Let's fast forward to now again, and I want to talk about the, uh, I want to talk about music technology. Obviously, that's something we uh, care about a lot, and uh, it's something that is, uh, has been obviously showing up in pop music for, for a long time, and in metal as well, and in rock, and um, you know, bands that used to have drummers like Coldplay, if you listen to the records now, it's a drum machine. There's more and more electronic elements going on. And how is that affecting the jazz world? Is that frowned upon by the purists or is there good electronic jazz coming out? How, how is it changing that scene? Mm -hmm. Not just electronic, That's too, just technology question. in general. Well, that is a really great question. And I have to say that so far in my career, I have been mostly making music in a very traditional mm -hmm, right. way. Um, and, you know, the jazz world, quote unquote, is really, really interesting because a lot of it tends to be conservative. Mm. So it's a very small percentage of the, the market to begin with. 
But those people that are quote unquote jazz listeners, a lot of them tend to only like, you know, traditional jazz the way it has been recorded. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that being said, more and more, there certainly are uh, younger people, um, I would say, especially younger audiences in jazz that are very open to uh, fusion and experimentation and new stuff. And um, I look forward myself to uh, recording a dream of mine. I've always wanted to record some techno music. And in Mm. particular, I want to work with scat singing and I want to work with a DJ because I, I think it'll be so much fun to do that. And I definitely have an open mind to that in the future. It's been a dream of mine. I'm just looking for the right team to collaborate with, the right person, the right musician. Um, So, you know, I think think it's certainly, it's weird because I do agree with what you're saying that it kind of divides. There's a huge divide. And um, when you're a jazz artist, a lot of times, and it's funny because people even, even to something like scat singing, that's something that divides an audience. Right. You know, a lot of people love it and they're just like, oh my God, I love scat singing. I get it all the time when I do my live right. streams. I do a, a scat solo and people are just like, oh my God, scat again. That was so great. That was good. And then I, I always know in my head, I'm like, yeah. But the people that aren't commenting are saying, oh God. <laughs> like, Leave it to Ella and Sarah. Just stop. Oh, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that way because, you know, my thing is I have to say I see myself as an entertainer. Right. You know, that's my thing. Mm. That's my thing. It took me a while to get into recording albums because there's no audience There's like the audience is in my head, you know, and so recording is kind of like making a movie and singing in a club or a theater is like a play. That's that's how I see it. And I love the play. I love the audience. I love the the shtick. I love the uh, banter. I love making people laugh. I love making people cry. I love, you know, moving people. So, um, you know, I'm kind of really interested in an audience and into what they want to hear. And so I... I really do look forward to always pushing myself more and more. Yeah. And I'm currently working on a new album, which for me is pushing the envelope because it's the first time that I've ever written all original music. Okay. There's one cover, but that, that cover will be the lead off single and that, that is expected to come out in the spring. But the album is 10 songs that are all original music. And um, for the first time, one of the songs will feature a rapper. Oh, okay. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Do you have a rapper already? And I do know, by the way, I know that that will freak some people out. (laughs) That people, you know, in the jazz world, quote unquote. And I'm really interested to see how that'll be... Uh, well, scene because like I said I know I, I know what I'm getting into some people will be like why why did you do this Ori why why it's why it's funny that and for me it's because I have to move it forward I, I have to keep experimenting pushing myself exploring I think that's a big part of being an artist is exploring it's funny gotcha. that you said that that jazz musicians are conservative because it originally was about you know changing the status quo and improvising and doing something new and and hip hop comes from jazz and just thinking that they're going to yes, be right. you know, exactly. raising their nose to that is, is, is kind of funny to think about. 
Some of them will. I mean, it's very divisive. I, I, I don't, I can't possibly say what percentage will and what percentage won't, but it's a fraction. It'll be like half and half or 60-40 or 70-30. But it, it's a very de- de- decisive kind of, yes, let's move it forward yeah. versus, oh, that's yeah. not jazz. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. We've talked a, f- a little bit about scatting. Can you break that down? I know Duriki loves to scat as well. The German way. But I, I'm, I'm more playful with it. it. I don't want to pretend that I'm a, Go a for scat. It. I'm not going to do it Let's today. I don't want to embarrass someone. It's far from professional. Oh, come on, Duriki. No way. Oh, man. You've got <laughs> potentially millions of people listening. No, I right leave now. that to the professionals. I only do that in the shower and when right. I'm drunk. Shower scat. You've said too much. Well, way Dur- to go. Well, that's a well, good place exactly. to start. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have been scat singing every day for over 20 years and it's it's what i love about scat singing is that it kind of breaks down the barrier between instrumental jazz and vocal jazz so it truly is using your voice as an instrument and i think one of the things i love about it is that it's so universal because when you're singing you know people have to understand the language You know, they might get a gist of what you're saying if they don't understand the language, or they might be reading subtitles, but it's divisive, right? Yeah, for it's, sure. It's very specific to a culture. And to me, what I love about jazz is the freedom of expression and the universality of it. Right. So scat singing is universal. It's it's You have to speak the jazz language in order to properly... Uh, quote unquote properly scat. So um, the way I got into it was uh, first of of course through Ella, who was the master right. of that. Um, but then I kind of started to listen to instrumentalists more and more, and uh, just try to do what they do, and that's how I approach it. And I, I do also approach it with a lot of humor, because I think that it's not serious. Right. It can yeah. be. But I, the way I like to do it, it's more about just having fun. Because I think it's kind of a funny thing to do when you think about it. I agree. It. It's like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's not, that's what, words are good for being serious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like 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 a song like Complexion. There's not scat sure. singing on that. Because I, I didn't want to take away. Uh, I mean, I guess there, there could be. You could use your voice that way. But I, my go-to is just kind of to have fun. So, you know, it's like, it's what I do... Um, when I'm walking down the street, you know, it's like, see, it sounds so much better than what I can do. That was great. <laughs> well, listen, do it every day for 20 years and then we'll talk. <laughs> All right. I'll check in 20 years from now. I'll let you know how um, we'll it. have you back. <laughs> this may be a silly question and maybe we'll have to remove it. Um, but, uh, I think uh, maybe a quarter of the people listening are, are always wondering when they hear about scat music. Scat already has a meaning in the English language. What happened? Uh, <laughs> That's a great question. Well, let me tell you a funny thing about that. Yeah, I'm sure that. you would because you're when the resident expert When I made my first here. album, well, it's funny because my first album, I... I I did want to do, I did two originals on that. One of them is just this silly blues called Squabadoo Bop. But the other one is a song that I wanted to do my best to explain why I scat sing. Uh. And uh, so the song really talks about that. And it's called Scat Got My Tongue. (laughs) And it's a play on 
cat's got my tongue. So what I did was oh. instead of writing S C A T, I wrote S apostrophe C A T. You know, like cat's right, got, yeah. cat got. Mm-hmm. And part of my reasoning was that I didn't want it to, like when you Google it, I didn't want it to come up with the other scat. Yeah, that could but be you know what? It didn't work. Path for sure. Okay. So Google carefully. <laughs> Very good point. Right. You Speaking know, of Google, I got, uh, I got to jump in right here with this one because you had a song that was an ode to the search engine. Yeah. Googleable. Googleable. Just wanted to throw that in. Don't even this have is a question. This And you know also, what? It, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really fun piece of music. I I, uh, really I wrote that for my second record with uh, one of the greatest geniuses I've ever worked with. His name is Mark Keysweater. He's an American piano player who moved here to Toronto some years right. ago. And um, that was my attempt, you know, because the thing about writing songs in jazz, the thing about it is that there's so many love songs already. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, a lot of standards oh, are love songs and it's difficult to write a love song. So I wanted to write something that was a love song in a modern gotcha. way. And I thought, what do I love? And at that time, I just thought, I love Google <laughs> because it helps me every day. You know, mm. if, I, if I need to know where I'm going, if I'm looking for a definition, okay, if I'm looking for right. a fact. So I just wrote this song. And you know what? On my new album, there will be a version 2.0 of Google. Okay. Yahooable. <laughs> Bingable. <laughs> no, no, it's actually it's it's a it's Googleable version 2.0. It's a bonus oh, track. Uh, and and actually writing Googleable inspired me to do my new record because I had always wanted to that it was very successful for me. It got some good play on CBC and uh, whenever I would play it live, I always had people in the audience come up to me after and say, who wrote that song about Google? And I said, I did. And they're like, are you kidding? That's amazing. Oh, my God. So I just thought, I want to do a whole album of pieces that are current, where the lyrics are about the present. And so that's what my new album is going to be. And it's all inspired by the success I had with Googleable. Speaking about the present time, um, would any of your songs cover some of the historic events have taken place over 2020 and i guess another extension question is how have you kind of adapted to you know what took place with the covid19 lockdown i know you were doing some unconventional gigs like the balcony of the senator i believe it was in the summer um but talk about the your adjustment to covid19 and is that going to be reflected in this new album yeah the new album uh touches about that a little bit Although I have to say it's more about, you know, it touches on life in this current place and time. You know, even that one of the songs is called Viruses. It's actually about computer viruses, (laughs) but I know people will think it's about COVID. Um, I kind of wanted this this album to be fun and I wanted it to be an escape, but I also wanted it to be, you know, very relevant to now. So it talks more about social right. media. It talks about, I know um, there's a song about like online dating. Okay. Uh, it, it's more of a, a 21st century song. But to answer the second part of the question, I've had, I've been very busy. Okay. Because that's just how I love to right, be. Right, right. Um, so I've had actually four pandemic projects. Uh, in, my album is one of them. The Balcony series is one right. of them, which I helped to produce with uh, Civil Walker at the Senator. Nice. Um, but the main project that I've had 
is been an incredible, incredible experience. And it's a live streamed show that I do every Saturday at 4 p.m. on my Facebook mm. channel. And what's your Facebook and, channel um, for everyone? So it's uh, Ori Dagan Jazz. And um, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, I started this actually in late right. March. But, uh, when I started it, I was doing it on Thursdays. And um, I, I was terrified because I am not the best jazz piano right. player. I'm going to be completely honest okay. about that. But I don't have a right, choice. Right. You know, I don't have a yeah. band now. And I did grow up playing the piano. And I, before the pandemic, I would play the piano on a gig. But my rule was I would only do it if it was charity okay. gig because they can't, you know, ask me for my money <laughs> back. Or if I was playing for like seniors yeah. and I figured, you know, some of them might be hard of hearing they anyway, might not catch whatever. The <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I started with the pandemic. I started to play for my living room and it was so successful. Like people started to write in and thank me, right. thank me for entertaining them. So I just kept it going and I've gotten a lot better nice. at the piano because this has been kicking my ass to practice every yeah, week. Yeah, for sure. But um, more importantly, it's given me the amazing opportunity to connect with fans all over the yeah. world. So I have made new fans in Brazil, in Mexico, in Spain, in Italy, in Canada right, right. as well. People in Toronto that I've never met. Uh, so it's been amazing. And uh, it keeps me busy. What I do is every week I pay tribute to a different artist or a different decade nice. or a different theme. So I've done most of my jazz heroes. I've done Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald. I've done, you know, people that I know less that I've learned about, um, like, um, you know, like Frank Sinatra and the Rat right. Pack. I did a show dedicated to Disney songs and I call the show Jazz It Up. And a lot of times what I do is I take pop songs and I jazz gotcha. them up. So I speed them up, I slow yeah. them down, nice. I swing them, I scat on them. And uh, it's it's been an amazing ride. I've also been able to support some charities nice. by That's doing really this. Nice. So what I do is this weekend I'm doing a charity show where I donate half of my tips to charity. Beautiful. And I've been able to raise, um, I think so far, about $700 to different nice. charities. Um, usually, you know, I, the funny thing is I've been making more money doing this than playing the wow. clubs, which doesn't yeah. say much because the clubs don't <laughs> right, pay a right, lot. True. But the way it works is I don't have to pay a band, yeah. right? So if I'm making like, you know, I, I usually make about, I would say about two to 300 bucks. And so if I split that with a charity, I usually give them 100, 150 bucks. And I, it's, it's something. I mean, I, the charity, uh, my go-to charity has been the Daily Bread Food okay. Bank. Because I think, you know, we are all struggling but there are people there that don't have yeah. food. And it, it, this pandemic has made people all kind of live in their own world and be, you know, uh, kind of sad about what they can't do and forget there are people there that don't have food. So I do the charity thing because it helps me to, you know, ground myself. And I hope that it inspires people to do good and to be kind because I think that's how we will get through this pandemic is through love and kindness. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, that's that's very, so very true. important words. I have one more of your songs that I want to reference. I believe you might have wrote this one for Matt. It was called Clap on the Two and the Four. <laughs> nice. Can you, uh, <laughs> I mean, it might go without saying, but just uh, tell us a quick bit about that one. I just want to make sure I threw that. Sure. That personally. Clap on the Two and the Four is a song that I wrote um, 
in response to those people that don't know how to clap to jazz. Mm. It's this um, problem that happens in a jazz club where people clap on the wrong beat. Yep, talk uh, about it. And so I just decided to, it's funny because I recorded it as almost like a demo and I didn't love the way it came out, but my team, okay, my mom heard it <laughs> and she was like, or you've got to put out that song. I love it. It's such a great song. But I, so I said to myself, you know what? There's no way I'm releasing that song without a music video. And it was uh, one of the first music videos I did. And um, it actually did really well. It got into like 15 different festivals worldwide right. and it won some awards, including the New York Jazz Film Festival Best right. Educational Jazz nice. Short, wow. which I thought was so hilarious. <laughs> but it really inspired me. You know, before I did Nathaniel, a tribute to Nat King Cole, the visual album, I did Clap on the Two and the Four as kind of like my uh, litmus okay. test. And I realized how far a song can go with a cute video. And what I did with the video is I just asked some of my, you know, my friends and my fans to film themselves singing the song and clapping along. Or in some cases, I just filmed them. And uh, some of the celebrity people in the video include Jeannie yeah, Becker, that one. <laughs> uh, who's, who's a great friend and a, a supporter of jazz. And some great singers like Alex Pangman, who uh, sings in it with her horse. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was really, really a very cool experience. And... Um, I, it holds a special place in my heart for that reason. Are there statistics nice. to show Love if it. there's been a upswing on people clapping on the twos and fours? Upswing. <laughs> Not yet, but maybe okay, one day. We'll look into that. And you know what? It's a funny thing because it's really something that I strive to teach people to yeah. do. There's a great video of Harry Connick Jr. Do you guys? I don't know if you guys have seen it, but his audience, he's playing this gig and his audience is clapping on yeah, the Matt one and the three. So he yeah. adds a bar of five, yeah. four, and now they're clapping on the two and the four. It's just it's mind-blowingly brilliant. Really brilliant. But that guy's next That's level hilarious. with yeah. his brilliance. Anyway. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a major worldwide problem. Clap on we the hope we find the cure. And I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Matt, you are a great drummer, so obviously. I only dram, dram, dram. I only drum on the one and the three, so I need some lessons. With your kick drum, that's fine. It works. I um, have a hard time clapping on the one and the three, but it could be just me because I'm a jazz. Listen weirdo. to more polka. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I should. There it is. All right, so man, it's been really great talking to Definitely. you. I want to respect your time and let you run, but. Two quick things, maybe you could touch on these um, as we say goodbye for now. Could you just give a little bit of insight to those coming up jazz musicians, musicians, creators, entrepreneurs coming up behind you? Um, one, can you touch on just the importance of socials? Because I know you mentioned it a few times. And maybe in that, just kind of throw out some words of encouragement, inspiration, something from your heart. Sure. The, the important, did you see the importance of social? Yeah, just content overall, I guess. Yeah. Well, listen, right now in particular is such an important time for artists and creators to engage with audiences. Yeah. Like ever since this uh, pandemic, I've been creating more because I know that the, my audience is out there and they need content. For sure. They need to be entertained. Yeah. 
you know, and, you know, I always think in the back of my head, I bet there are a few people that might be annoyed with this. And then I'm like, good, they can they can shut it off. They can look away because I do get amazing feedback. I get a lot of feedback from people that are saying, you know, thank you so much for entertaining us. Thank you so much for being positive. So uh, what I'm doing right now is I'm trying my best to use my social media to entertain, to inform, to encourage, to keep positive, and most importantly, to support my community. So I'm always out there reminding people about the music venues that are struggling, um, that need your help, uh, because a lot of them have set up ways that you can support them. You know, like places like Drome Taberna, where you can buy merchandise, who they've been so amazing to the artists. Uh, Places like the Free Times Cafe, um, where they still have a storefront. You know, um, it's just important for me to, oh, the Emmett Ray, I have to mention, a great jazz club here in Toronto. Uh, They have also a store where you could buy, you could buy whiskey, you could buy food. Um, And they really, these are the, the, jazz cannot exist without these venues that support it. So I'm trying my best to pay forward, to remind my audience about that and support local. Because you don't want, we don't want everything to be big business right. like we we need these little places so, so much true. so um you know so and, and i think it's important for artists to especially you know if you're a musician you know social media is so uh it's so valuable because it allows people in a, in a way that we never had this before Direct access, you know yeah. it, it gives us freedom to share with our yeah. audience and and people care, you know. People do care about what's going on behind the yep. scenes, and they're so into that. They're so into watching you practice or seeing your inspiration. And what I find the most fascinating is when you open it up to people and you know ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Like I put up this post um, a little while ago that just said, "What's your favorite Elton John song?" And I got like 150 replies. Right. All different of, songs. Of all these songs that I've never heard yeah. of. Like some of them were <laughs> Rocket Man and Your Song and Daniel. But a lot of them were songs because Elton John wrote some genius For songs sure. that nobody even exactly. knows. You know, because they never were released as singles. So it, it it's right now... It's something that I'm really grateful for is the ability for us to all connect through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. YouTube. It's a way for us to support Absolutely. one another. It's a way for us to stay connected. It's a way for us to be mm-hmm. social, to be friendly with one another. And it can be used for so much Agreed. good in a time where we're all isolated. You know, we can still be together this way. And and in, in a certain way, with you can connect with way more people. Yeah. Like I said, my, my live stream show has really been a godsend because I am now speaking. I literally interact with people that I never would meet otherwise. Exactly. And um, whether they live here, Toronto or Brampton or across the world, yep. it's it's been a huge gift and a huge blessing. So I encourage it. This is a really, really positive thing that we can do right now. Agreed. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being it's, with it's us. It's my and- pleasure. Thanks for including me. Thanks for including jazz. <laughs> All about that jazz. <laughs> yeah. Can you do awesome. us one more one favor? More time, shout out your socials. Know where Sorry. to find you online? 
said. I'm sorry. Uh, you, Dariki said, shout out your socials. And Anthony, what did you say? Shout out your socials. <laughs> oh, oh right, okay. can you yes. shout out your socials? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yay. So I will make it very easy. They are all Ori Dagan Jazz. O-R-I-D-A-G-A-N Jazz. Nice. And uh, it's Facebook Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. They're all Ori Dagan Jazz. And you can you can see what I'm up to at my website, oridagan.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Man. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com Captivate today to start your free trial.